Good morning. Pardon me while I throw everything all over the stage. Woohoo! Well, it is great to be back with you this week. Um, I got a message this morning from Gilbert. He and Lisa, I don't know if you've been following their travels on Facebook, but they've been having a wonderful time. Uh, and I've been glad to be able to fill in while they're away and give them the opportunity to do this. I, I have to say, he is, he is traveling and they're fully engaged in what they're doing, and he's still sending me messages every single Sunday morning saying, praying for you, hope all goes well. So, you know, I just want just to underscore and en- encourage all of us as a congregation. I mean, that's kind of the, he's tuned in, and he cares about each and every one of us, so I appreciate that about him and how he demonstrates that. Because, uh, you know, my wife's away this week, and so, you know, she's checking in too, and she's saying, hey, you know, I'm thinking, man, do I do that when I travel? <laughs> when, I'm tra- when I'm traveling, I'm like, man, I'm fully engaged in the trip. It's like, oh, that's right, I've got to go home, and there's people back there, you know. So, uh, I just appreciate that, you know, that about Gilbert and Lisa, and also about my wife. Um, so, we're continuing on in the series, Positive Deviance. These are the the pro tips of Jesus, if you will, uh, where he takes. We're just taking uh, five different weeks here, five different things that Jesus saw in the culture, a teaching or a, or a principle that God had put into the culture, that over time it had gotten convoluted, it had gotten, it, it, got, it got amplified in the wrong direction. And Jesus, so Jesus, these are the statements where Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I tell you. So he's overturning uh, the teaching. And this week we're going to look at one that initially, uh, if you, those of you who have been reading ahead or figuring out where we're going in Matthew chapter 5, uh, some, some people may not be here this morning because they want to listen to the podcast later and go, I don't know if that was safe for me to be there, because uh, it is a difficult topic. He deals with adultery. He deals with divorce. Uh, but I just want to underscore for you this morning, we're looking at the pro tips of Jesus. So these are things where here at Exponential, we want to deal with the truth unapologetically, not because it's what Nate says or what Gilbert says or what anybody else says, because of what Jesus said. And if Jesus said it and he's truly God, then there's a challenge in there for all of us. There's a course correction for every single one of us. And so we need, to, we need to engage the teaching where it's at and then allow God to reveal to our hearts where we need to go with it. Uh, so hopefully you understand that. Hopefully you, you, you know that we have a you know, space for grace so that God can continue to work in us uh, together. Uh, so that being said, let me ask you a question this morning. What situation in your life would be so serious that you'd be willing to consider amputation. I know I just dropped you off a cliff, but you know, so we went from this really nice soft intro to you know. What situation would be, is, is, would be so critical in your life that you would be willing to consider amputation? Now you don't necessarily have to call out an answer to that one, but I think when we think about amputation, when we think about people who have gone through being, being an amputee, we think of accidents. We think of soldiers, people who have put their lives in harm's way or people who are unexpectedly in a harmful situation. And it was beyond their choice. It was something they wouldn't have chosen in any way, shape, or form. And now they live with accommodating that, that change in their life. And so we look at amputation, we say, so we have, we, have, we have sympathy, we have compassion, we have support, we have care, we have all kinds of things when we think towards amputation, but we don't often think about amputation applying to us. That's why when I asked that question, there was like all the air was sucked out of the room. It's like, what? Nobody, nobody would willingly choose to lose an appendage 
unless their life was at risk. I mean, and that's typically where we see amputation happen, right? The threat of injury is so severe that the only solution to save your life is to amputate an appendage. I wanted to ask that question, just kind of set the tone, because where Jesus goes with this statement, initially could feel like he's, he's sort of just being light with it, but I, I want to just underscore the seriousness that Jesus has in behind what he's saying. But before I get there, um, let, me just, let me just kind of put this in there. Whenever an external opportunity meets internal desire, there is either great opportunity or great risk. When we grow up, we actually practice amputation on a daily basis. It's more on a thought level. It's, it's necessarily something that we consciously are aware of in that regard. So let me, let me just kind of leave that thought with you. Now let's go look at what Jesus shares, and then I'll bring the two together for you. We're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. And he says this, You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. He's repeating himself. And generally when Jesus repeats himself, that means what? It's pretty serious. Okay, so let's go on. It's been said, anyone who divorces his wife, and, and actually in the, Latin, in the Greek when you go, he's like, and in addition. <laughs> so it's kind of like he's, and by the way, he's tagging this on. So I'm going to actually address this in two separate pieces. But this, understand this is what he tags in there. It's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. I've said multiple times over this series, and so has Gilbert, that, that when you deal with Jesus and you deal with the truth, there's very little wiggle room. And whenever we get to a point where we're dealing with truth in a way that it confronts our reality, we have two choices. We can open up our heart and be teachable, or we can start to attack the teacher. <laughs> and, and since most people don't want to attack Jesus... They attack those who are speaking the words of Jesus, and then they make it about their character, they make it about what they're saying or how they're meddling. So I'm just encouraging you this morning, again, lay all that down, let the word come through, and whatever God wants to deal with in your heart, let's let him deal with it. Coming back to what I said about us practicing amputation, because you see where Jesus starts with adultery, you see where he goes with, hey, you know what, it's so serious that if a part of your body just keeps doing it without your control, cut it off, right? I want you to just flip the image over for a second. I want you to, I want you to think about the last time you were in the store. For some of you, this might have been yesterday. Uh, some of you, it could have been this morning. Some of you, it could have been last night. Some of you, it could have been last week. But the last time you were in a grocery store or a supermarket or Costco or whatever, and you're walking along, and you see the mom and the dad and the two kids under five, now, some of you instantly know the majority of what that conversation sounds like. Some of you have to kind of like put yourself back in that setting. But, but just in, in one word or two words, call it out. What does that conversation between those kids who are walking through this store and the parents look like 
90% of that conversation is what? Chaos. <laughs> it's chaos. It's no. It's keep your hands to yourself. What? I want that. Yes. I mean, because this is what kids do, right? See, there's something that happens with, 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 with us when we're growing up, and it, it's a, we have to learn that sometimes part of what we perceive is true, but what we want to do as a result of it is not necessarily the best behavior. And so when they're walking through the store, what do the kids know? Because every time they've gone with mom and dad to the store, what do mom and dad do? They buy stuff, right? They, they walk in, they have, now some, every parent is different, every family is different, but generally, you go in with a list of what you need, <laughs> and, and the kids are watching, and, and most of the time, you come out with the things that you need, and along the way, you kind of grab a few things that you want, right? Or there might be a, a discussion here or there that's like, you know what, well, we could do this, and what, uh, you know, I, I, that extra, you know, money from blah, 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 and we could, yeah, we could get, we could get that. So the kids are watching, right? Does it make sense that when the kids go with you to the store, then it's like, oh, what could I get? I, I'm going to tell him my son for me, just because he's not unusual as far as children go. When, when, we've, when we've gone anywhere, and, and there's a store, like if we did, so um, we, we went to, we went, for Mother's Day, we, we took my parents out to dinner, and there was a gift shop, and we went, to, we decided to walk through the gift shop, and it was more of the after dinner, let your food kind of get moving, kind of walk, it wasn't the, hey, we're going to go to the gift shop, because there's actually stuff here we want to buy, it, it, was a, it was a Hershey gift shop, so like, we live there, it's like, we know everything that's there, we have no desire to have, like, Jolly Rancher pillows, or a giant guitar bank, you know, it's like, we, we, but we're walking through, and what does Zach do? Zach is going, oh, well, I could get this, I could get this, I could get this. He's being a normal kid, right? Because when you go into a store, you go there to buy stuff. Now, let's flip that over. Parents, some, some of you appropriately said, say, chaos, some of you appropriately said, no. Why do parents say no? Why do we say no? Because we're being mean. Yes, good one, Bob. Because <laughs> we're being mean. Yeah, no, you're spot on. Because we're teaching, because we're trying to help them understand you can't just get everything that you want or that everything you see. See, a child goes in they think, this is a place you buy stuff. And so then they start trying to put themselves in the mindset of, what are the things that actually connect with my desire and I might get some enjoyment out of? And then it's an appeal. Mom, dad, can I have it? I want it. And what parents are doing is saying, okay, so there's a whole lot of other pieces of decision-making that go along with that that you are not connecting to this desire and opportunity, Right? And so there's, there's great risk. What's the great risk from a parent's perspective? More junk in the house, wasted money, <laughs> and what? There goes my checking account. Yeah, I mean, because you can go in and you can try to buy the whole store. And, and what we know as parents is we could buy all the junk in the store. And five minutes after we get home, what happens? They don't play with it. They don't play. Because we begin to see the end result 
of that desire, meeting that opportunity, but we also see the risk, right? And we, we're, so what we're doing with our children is we're actually teaching them to evaluate. Now let me turn it just one more time. Why is it for all of us, when we walk into a store, we don't think the first thought is, well, I don't have the money for it, but I could just put it in my pocket. Why is that not the first thought? Say, sorry, say it again. We know what could happen. Okay. What did you say, George? We were taught that that's wrong. Okay. What else? I heard a couple more. Security cameras and security measures. Yes. Yes, because that's the first thought that's in our mind. As, depending on our personality, that may be the first thought in our mind. There's like four security cameras. I couldn't get away with it. Oh, problems. That's awesome. What, if we had that as a part of our thinking, we would be called a, a thief, right? Somewhere along the way in our learning and our growing up years, we were taught that just because you see something and you want it, and you could physically take out and take possession of it, you, don't you shouldn't put it in your pocket and try to get away with it because. And then whatever we were taught after that, because you could go to jail, because you could be arrested, because you could be fined, because you could get caught. Wherever, wherever that lands for you, there is something in the back of your mind as far as the end result, the risk, that you actually amputate that idea. To the point where now if you're older... We, we walk into a store, we would never consciously think about taking something, right? We walk into a store, we don't walk into a store thinking, well, you know, I don't really have money for that, uh, you know, 70-inch screen TV, uh, but, you know, I could fit it in my pocket, you know, or if I stuff it under my shirt. I mean, it's just not a part of our thinking, right? That just because I don't have the money, somewhere along the way we learned to cut off that as an avenue. And we don't even think about it anymore. But for kids, their brains are still forming. And so that process of no, that process of explaining why, not just saying no, but then explaining why, either we don't have the money or it's, you know, it belongs to the store, doesn't belong to us. We have to offer them something in trade in order to get it. You know, just because it's here on display doesn't mean we can just pick it up and walk out with it. It's not, you know, free for the taking. There's an educational process that actually teaches children and teaches us as adults, as we're growing up, to amputate certain ways of behaving. Does that make sense? Really taking a lot of time with that. So, you know, those of you who know me by now, if I take a long time laying that foundation, it's going to connect to something important. Let's go back to what Jesus said. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your hand reaches out to do things that it shouldn't, cut it off, because it's better for one part of your body to be cut off than to be thrown into hell. Do you hear the conversation with Jesus as a parent? Can you hear it that way? 
Him saying to us, look, folks, this, this, whole, this whole lust and adultery thing, it's important. It is literally like shoplifting. That if you cannot control yourself, you need to learn to amputate that thought. Which brings us to our first point. Amputation can save your life. We know that from the emergency side, right? We know that from the accidents. We know that from the soldiers who've put their lives in harm's way for our freedom. We know that from those who have, who have had to make that decision, whether it's a health-related decision or not, that some part of their body has to go. And we know how painful that is. We, we, maybe not from personal experience, but we've seen others go through it. We know the trials that they go through. We know how they rehab and how they've learned to have to refunction without that appendage. And Jesus is making a connection here, not to make light of ableness, but to, to actually connect it to us in a way that we understand. If we allow ourselves to live in adultery and in lust, it is better for us. It is better for us to go through that amputation than to allow it to take root and be a part of our thinking. It is better for us not to walk into every situation saying, who's hot here in the room? It's better for us to walk in amputating that thought any, any more than we would walk into a store and say, gee, what can I fit in my pocket? And yet, and yet, this is a thought that for some of us is, is dominant when we walk in a room. We, we look to see who's attractive. We look to see who might be influential. You know, whatever the lust is, it's not always a physical lust. Sometimes it's a lust of, of attention. Who will give me the most attention? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. This is so important. We must learn to amputate it. Guys understand this a little bit in the sense of, of pornography, and, and more and more so women are understanding it um, in regards to pornography. We don't always understand it socially because we're not always really paying attention to our motives when we interact with people socially. But the same symptomology is there, the same drive for something to gratify ourselves is still there. I once had a, a, a good friend of mine say to me that every relationship has an element of co-need co or co-satisfaction. You know, every relationship does. You know, there's something that I get from you and something you get from me. The problem is, if I go into it thinking about that, then my motives aren't right. Because now I'm not thinking about you as a person, I'm thinking of you as a vending machine. Right? That's the mul that, but that's the mindset of adultery. That is the mindset of lust. That is the mindset of any kind of lust where we see a person as a means to something we gain rather than a person. See, when we see them as a person, we understand we have something to offer, and so we come ready to offer as well as ready to receive, but that's not our primary motive. Our primary motive is to get to know each other, to relate. And we learn as we mature to amputate those other desires. Many of us do. But some of us at critical ages 
may have been impacted by either a social experience where we experienced rejection or we experienced hurt or we experienced being molested or experienced pornography or we experienced something that broke our understanding of how to relate. So maybe we were somebody else's commodity. Somebody else saw what they could get from us. Or somehow we were taught that that's how we treat people because we, that was exemplified for us. And that part of the thinking was not amputated. So now we struggle. And now in every situation we walk into, I mean, guys, let's be honest, those of us who had pornography impact our lives early on, it's very hard when you walk into a room not to scan the room for the most person. It just is. It is a part of thinking that has to be amputated. Ladies may not have been impacted by pornography, but maybe romance novels, which is actually female pornography where you have the fantasy. You know? And so you walk into a room, and yours isn't necessarily to scope out the, the, the most attractive person in the room, but it's maybe the most romantic person in the room, the one who seems to validate you the most, the one who seems to, to pay attention to you the most. It's in us. It's, it's a human thing. And it is something that Jesus says is so important that we bring into play and amputate so that it doesn't have the chance to grow. Because the end result is what? Just like if we walk into a store thinking I can fit that in my pocket and if I can get out of here with it, I'm all right, right? That we become, we, we cultivate a mindset of thieving. The same thing happens with lust and adultery, which then makes it almost impossible for us to have a healthy relationship with any other person because we will always be working the angle we'll always be seeing what we can get from that person rather than an actual relationship and validating them as a person you follow me so far you see why jesus said this is so 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 important he's trying to get to the root of something right from the outset and 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 if you followed the the teachings throughout this week i mean he kind of started gradual and then like by the time we get here he didn't just drop in on this one but by the time we get here, we sort of see what Jesus is doing. He starts with a principle that's been corrupted, and he goes to the root issue. And the root issue is we have to learn to cut off those automatic thoughts that can form that are unhealthy for relationships. He challenges us to realize that the desire and the opportunity of adultery, is, it doesn't begin with the first time you have the opportunity to commit adultery. It begins with a cultivated way of thinking of people as an opportunity to gain. The sad part about this reality is we now live in a culture that is doing the exact opposite. And, and to some extent, I mean, I'm being a little bit unfair. In Jesus' day, the culture was doing the same thing. Roman culture was very much the same way. Cultivating this idea of if you want it, you can have it. It was the permissive culture of the day. And, and they had all these, these mythologies that would talk about how the gods have provided these things. And, and, and anything that you wanted, there was a god to provide it. You know, there, basically there was this way of thinking that, yeah, sure, okay. And, and it was relativism before relativism was a thing. You know, where it's like whatever you believe is true. Well, it's, back then it was like, well, whichever god you could find to support that thought. Similar. And we're there today. Our permissive culture wants to call the process of amputating, it wants to call the process of us learning to say no to things that are unhealthy for us, it wants to call that social constructs. 
Because when we're honest about, you know, I learned that from my parents. Our permissive culture wants to look at that one-sided and say, yes, you learned that from your parents. It's a social construct. But our permissive culture is not willing to look at the other side of that and say, oh, yes, I learned to steal because my parents showed me how. I learned to lust because my dad or my mom showed me how. I learned to commit adultery because my parents showed me how. They're not willing to look at those things as social constructs too. Because the minute we do that, we have to come back to the conversation of what is a moral principle. You follow me? And Jesus goes right to the heart of it, doesn't he? He says, look, 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 look. This is destructive. This is destructive. We must get to the root of it and cut it off. So those who are not mature or those who gain from us being immature in our culture. So I'm, I'm talking about um, you know, in this permissive culture. So it, it doesn't matter if it's the news media. It doesn't matter if, the, if it's your neighbor. It doesn't matter if it's politicians. It doesn't matter. The influencers of the permissive culture are those who are not mature in this part of their thinking. Okay. And, and I'm making that, that's a pretty bold statement. And some of you may come back and be like, boy, that's pretty arrogant for you to say. No, they're not mature. And in the places where I struggle with the same issues or the same thoughts, I would say, I'm not mature. So recognize, I'm not pointing fingers and saying, well, they're, they're just not mature and I am. I'm saying they're not mature, but they will not admit it. What they want to do is convince us it's okay. They want to convince us that it is mature to have whatever we want, when we want it, however we want it. Now I want you to take that thought and put that next to the image and the reminder of what it was to be in the store with the parents and the kids. And that conversation was happening. See, when we do that, we can see the contrast, right? We can hear that, I want it, I want it, I want it. And, and we expect the parents to say, no. But the culture is saying, well, that's a social construct. You really shouldn't say no. You really should say, how do I help you? How do I help you change? How do I help you do? How do I help you get? You see where this road leads? It leads to the point where we start abandoning what it is to raise up mature people and we raise up people who are given to only desire only feeling see other people as either a roadblock to what they want or a commodity to get what they they feel they need and i, I put the word feel in front there feel they need but we're not mature if that's how we live This question alone here is one that you can take and reflect on. And like this could be the whole, this could be the whole message. It's not, but it could be. But this is like the whole, this question alone. You can write this down. It's not in your outline, but I encourage you to either write it down or type it in. This question, what parts of my life am I still acting on desire, feel, or want? I'll give you a chance to write that down. This, what parts of my life am I still acting on desire, feel, or want? Second half. Instead of applying truth 
to amputate the avenue of wrongdoing. Instead of applying truth to amputate the avenue of wrongdoing. Everybody got that question down? That's one to take with you. What part of my life am I still acting on desire, feel, or want? Instead of applying truth to amputate the avenue of wrongdoing. Another way of saying it is this. Where am I ignoring the harm caused or accepting it as normal instead of amputating the root cause, the lust, desire? So I want to go down a road, and, and for those of you who have young children, younger children in the room, I'm going to speak cryptically, uh, but if it provokes questions later, uh, you might want to plug ears. Uh, but ED drugs right now are on the rise. Uh, for those of you who know what those are, especially among millennials. And what I found is interesting, I poured over tons and tons and tons of, of, of information getting ready for this message to try and nail this down. And what I found was really interesting. I found that the information I was finding actually proved exactly what I just said about a permissive culture versus a culture that accepts amputating thoughts. And what I found was that, that WebMD and other medical sites that, that, or, or those who are regurgitating medical information but from a very permissive perspective, will say, we know ED is caused by psychogenic issues, meaning your mind, your way of thinking, causes your body not to do what it was designed to do. Make sense? But then they'll turn right around and say, but we're not exactly sure why there's a psychogenic issue because there's no underlying health issues. And they're specifically saying this in regards to millennials because older men, we expect this to be an issue, you know, it can just physiologically be an issue for older men. They know that. They, and they can look at all the markers, all the biological symptoms, etc. They're specifically looking at men under 40, down to their 20s, and the rise of the prescription of ED for them, and then saying the majority is, an, is a psychogenic, meaning caused by the mind, with no underlying health issue. So understand the sample group we're looking at. We're not talking about one-offs with health issues. We're talking about those who have a psychogenic... So then, so then they'll say, now there are those who think that pornography and you know, lust and other things actually cause this, but there's no evidence. And so then they're, they're very confidently dismissive. And then they'll turn right around and say, but this psychogenic issue is clearly brought on by stress, by anxiety, by, by other factors that we don't know, and therapy, getting to the root cause, helps. I don't know about you, but whenever I read something like that, and, and somebody is so confident that it's not this, and then they'll put this giant question mark there, they haven't given me evidence to say it's not. All they've said is, we're confident it's not. There's no evidence that it's not. And then if there is, the, the few pieces of evidence I found were ones that were like, well, you know, we've seen, you know, th those who engage in this can still, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I want you to just put this out here for a moment. I want you to think about this for just a second. If you walk over a piece of carpet over and over and over again, what happens to the carpet? It gets worn out, right? It gets threadbare. The rest of the carpet looks fine, but that particular path, you get a path. You know where you walk, right? Think about that in regards to stimulation with your own biology. We know this. If you rub this part of your skin, one of two things is going to happen. You're going to stop noticing, right? After a while, you're just going to become numb to it, 
or you might actually start to get some inflammation. You might get a rash. And at that point, you might pay attention and say, gee, where did that come from? This is the same thing that's happening with pornography. Now, granted, I will even say, based on what I've read, I think there are multiple factors going together. One of the factors is you have a generation that has grown up broadly, and I'm painting with a broad brush, but broadly, who has been told more yes than no. Okay? You showed up, you get a trophy. You showed up, you get a medal. Right? High expectations of reward and gratification. And so they go into life, and when they don't get the gratification, it's frustrating. I know that's a factor. As a matter of fact, that was actually often cited in a lot of these articles. High expectations of a world that doesn't work the way they expected it to. And so then there's a need to gratify, but then they don't know how to do it. Okay? That's part of it. But think about lust for, for a second. Think about pornography. You are saturating your mind in thinking about uh, sex and thinking about those things in a particular way over and over and over and over and over again. So then when you get to real life and real relationships and it doesn't work that way, what happens? It's not any different. You find yourself in need of gratification and you find yourself completely unequipped to be able to deal with the frustration you now feel. So, I'm sorry, I don't put a lot of stock in the article saying it has nothing to do with it. I think it has a large degree to do with it because it is actually more pervasive now than it has been throughout history. But I wanted to connect that because when Jesus says, it is better for us to cut off a body part than to allow ourselves to gouge out your face so that you're not looking. Why? Because he knows what our brain lays down pathways of learning, every experience that we have, our brain lays, lays down continuous pathways of learning. And when we're not learning in, in alignment with reality, then we're ill-equipped for reality. So then Jesus takes it a step deeper into the, marital, into the marriage relationship. And this is important for singles, for young marrieds, for old marrieds. And it stems directly from the maturity issue he just identified. The maturity issue is we have to be willing to amputate those desires or amputate those actions to take, to gratify, that are not aligned with reality. And he says this, marriage uniquely should never be ended except by death for believers, uh, but permission was given for situations where adultery could not humanly be recovered from. And I just want to explain that little caveat. So death for death for believers. So when you make a covenant of marriage before God, you are saying to God, until death do us part. To have him to hold, to love, and to cherish, for better, for worse, sickness and health, richer for poor, till death do us part, right? We're, we're making that statement to God. And so that's why for believers, marriage is never supposed to be ended except by death. But permission was given for the places where adultery could not humanly be recovered from. Now, I could sit up here and I could tell you stories of people who've overcome that, that they've worked through the trust issues, they've worked through the forgiveness, and they've actually become married and had a healthy marriage afterwards. I could tell you those stories, but that's not, that's not quite the point that I want to make today. It's not quite the point that I see Jesus making here. It wasn't about, hey, you can do that, you can overcome adultery. The point was, 
divorce was given sort of as a, an out for our human limitations, but it wasn't something that God ever intended us to have to use because with his help, we won't need it. And here's where that begins. The underlying truth is that when our desire and opportunity needs amputated to hold a commitment, but we don't do it, then we, then we have the consequence. Let me say it this way. Most marriages end in divorce because of two things. One or both partners did not have the social maturity to navigate the issue together. And one or both partners did not have the perseverance to endure the issues together. Make sense? Marriages end in divorce for, one, for these two reasons. Mar one or both partners did not have the social maturity to navigate the issues together. Or one or both partners did not have the perseverance to endure the issues together. And if you think about that, even in situations where somebody's just, you know, they're just, they don't have the maturity. Maybe one of them did. Maybe one of them wanted to work through it. But the other didn't. That's just the reality, right? But underlying that inability is this immaturity of needs and desires. There's no relationship. There's no sacrifice together. So I know we can get down the path on, on marriage issues here, but if we're honest, these two simple things remain true. Generally, the reason the marriages fail is because before the husband and wife were faced in a, with the normal relation issues of marriage and family, they had not matured in applying truth to amputate those destructive desires. Go all the way back to week one. Am I going to maximize my opportunity or am I going to settle for the least common denominator? You know, if we, have, if we don't have that maturity in marriage, then when we face the normal relationship issues, we're going to balk. You know, for Allison and I, one of the things that we've always said to each other is, I'm not going anywhere. How do we, how do we move forward together? I'm not going anywhere. And, and we were taught that by an older, wiser couple than us at the time when we were first married. And I can't tell you how many times that has been a, a touchstone for us to come back to in our marriage and say, okay, let's hit the reset button because we really need to. And those of you who've been in marriage for a long time, you know that. There are just times you've got to put everything aside and say, okay, we're going to amputate all the things we'd like to do, all the, all the words we'd like to say, all the stones we'd like to throw, all the other people that we feel might validate us better than our spouse. We've got to cut that out and just say, I'm in this. I made a promise, and I made it before God. How do we walk it out together? And then I want to leave you with this. The third point is actually your take-home. So here's your take-home. Ready? I know what to amputate by identifying what compels me in the opposite direction of God's ways. I know what to amputate by identifying what compels me in the opposite direction of God's ways. So I'm just going to assume that we're, all, that we're all desiring to be mature. Okay, and that may be a, a big assumption, but I'm going to assume we all want to be mature. And so the process of maturity, wherever you are on the spectrum of maturity at this point in your life, the process of maturity is being able to recognize, okay, these are the things that God says are good, that he has promises behind, that he has said life will go well if... You know, not necessarily that I expect cars and Cadillacs and everything else just because I've done it God's way, but the, 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 these are good moral choices and things will work out better than if you go this way kind of stuff. 
the process of maturity is the ability to, to look at that and say, okay, this is what God has said. Now, how do I begin to set aside those things I'd like to do that may not lead me in that direction? And then don't try to do them all at once, okay? Because <laughs> if, you, if you obviously, you know, you try to go live in a cave and you're beating yourself with some sort of plank, you know, and, and trying to, you know, tor torment your body and put your body aside and put down all your desires like the monks used to do, you know, you, you may drive yourself insane. That's not really a helpful thing. But pick one. Pick one. One thing that you know consistently has gotten in the way of your maturity, has gotten in the way of your relationships. You know, if it is lust, if it is pornography, then how do you begin to amputate that thought? Guys who haven't this issue and you walk into a room and you try to look for the most attractive, ladies, who, you know, you're trying to look for the one who's going to validate you the most, how do, you, how do you cut that off before you even get there? How do you connect the knowledge that when you walk into a store you're not planning to steal to that same thinking when you walk into a social, social situation? Learn to cut that off before it starts. Don't cultivate it. Pick one, whatever it is. If you have to put yourself in a position where it's like, but I want it, but I want it, and you hear you know, God as a parent saying, no, honey. And, and then you, you sort of need to play it out in your head like the no, honey. No, I said no. I mean no. I put it down. You are not taking that home today. You know, just If you have to play that out with yourself, do it. And then this isn't, this isn't in here, but I want to give you this verse as a help. When you go to Ephesians 6, it says, pull, put on the full armor of God, right? So that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand firm. And once you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Take the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and the helmet of salvation. If you actually go and like memorize that verse, memorize that verse, and every time you start to walk into a situation where you know this is a place that you're not mature, and you need to cut it off, say that verse. Memorize it and say it to yourself because it will force you to reflect on a couple things. The belt of truth is in place. Truth, the center of where I am has got to be truth. If it's not, everything else falls apart, Okay? Breastplate of righteousness, that if I live rightly, my vital organs are protected. Feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace means I have traction. I'm able to stand firm in peace. There's no turmoil. I'm not going to allow myself to be sucked into drama. I'm not going to seek gratification because I'm frustrated. We need that peace. Shield of faith. Protect myself from other thoughts or comments that others might make that would cause me to spiral into that lustful or that desirous thinking. The word of God, the sword, it's double-edged. It's both defensive and offensive. I can use the word of God to come back. And so you're actually in the practice of doing that when you're saying this verse. I'm in the practice of using the word of God to defend myself from the situation where I need to mature. And the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation is doubly important. It's important, one, to guard your mind from the thought you're actively having, but it's also important for later if you fail to come back to the knowledge that, no, I have given my life to God. I failed. Next time I'm going to succeed. I am going to mature. Daddy, I'm sorry I took it off the shelf. Help me take it back to the store. You follow? 
That's your third point. That's your takeaway. Identify just one, just one area where you know you need to mature and begin to amputate that with the truth of God's word. And then begin to look at how that gets better. And, and I'm telling you, if it's at a place of legitimate immaturity for you, you will recognize you struggle with it over and over and over and over again. Do not let your guard down on it. Anybody who's been an alcoholic or a drug addict, you know that. You can never let your guard down. But the good news is, as you progressively amputate that over and over and over again, it will eventually become more like when you walk into a store and the first thought you have is not, how do I put it in my pocket? First thought is, I've come to trade. You will look at your relationships the same way. I've come as a person to meet people. I am now an equal. You're an equal. We can have a relationship. Make sense? All right, that was a heavy one. You got a lot of homework. We're at time. So Bill, you wanna, <laughs> I'm gonna have the music team come around. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, let him do announcements when he comes up, and then we'll let you guys uh, get out of here. If you wanna stay for the, the last song, uh, feel free, but uh, my apologies for going a little bit long here. Uh, it's a heavy subject, and I wanna make sure that we covered it thoroughly for you. So let's pray together as we allow them to transition. Father, thank you so much for today. And Jesus, thank you for continuously bringing us to the point where we can zero in on root issues. You, you're, you're, you love us so much, you care about us so much that you don't deal with the dressing and the drama on top. You go right to the root issue because you want, at the core of us, you want health. At the core of us, you want maturity. And like any good parent working with a child, you want grow up into fully functioning, mature adults who make wise choices, who have healthy relationships, and who can also raise up their own children to be mature adults who make wise choices and have healthy relationships. God, I, Jesus, I thank you for that, that you've done that with us. Help us, Lord, to, to continue to grow up in your teaching and to also be those who are available to help others grow alongside, that we all mature into the likeness and the fullness of who you are, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus, in your name, amen.